Even as we grieve, we don't grieve as those who don't have hope because we realize that there's more to this. And that's an important reality. And that's one of the ways that we are unique. And it's not God asking us to be inhuman. He's asking us to be truly human to what humanity really means in light of the finished work of Jesus. So in our grieving, we put not only the cross of Jesus, but we put the empty tomb at the front of our hearts because the empty tomb says that life comes through death. Death is always difficult to deal with, particularly when it's someone we truly cherished. Today, Pastor Daniel discusses how different mourning can be, though when we know the hope and love of our Savior. Jesus defeated death to take our sins away, and when we accept that, we have the chance at eternal life. We will still have sadness, but we look at it through the lens of the cross and the empty tomb, knowing life comes from death. Now, here's Pastor Daniel in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 14, with part one of his message, Family Life. All right, let's all open our Bibles to the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 14. Deuteronomy, chapter 14, as we continue our leisurely journey through the Bible. We've been at this thing for about four plus years right now. We've made it into the fifth book. So at the rate that we're going, I'll get this thing done, not in my lifetime. So I'd have to not quite make it to the age of Methuselah, let the reader and the hearer understand. We're just going to keep going. So in this section here that we're, we're doing this series called Blueprints. And really this is the section in the book of Deuteronomy where we really have the rehashing of the law that had been given. Remember, Moses received the law at Mount Sinai and following and gave it to the children of Israel. But the entire generation who was older than, you know, kind of the early adult age, they perished in the wilderness because they did not trust God to go into the promised land. So God had to raise up a new generation who would go into the promised land. And now Moses, he's on the precipice of the promised land with the group that's going to go into the promised land. But none of them were old enough to really understand what had gone on. So Moses, his last act as the leader of the children of Israel is to retell the law, goes through all of it again. And then he's going to hand over the mantle to Joshua and Moses is going to go the way of all the earth because even Moses isn't allowed to go into the promised land, only Joshua and Caleb of that generation. So he goes back through, we call it blueprints because really God's law ends up being almost the blueprint for the life that we're meant to live. It shows us God's standard for righteousness, what God is interested in who we're supposed to be. Now, people all the time say, well, listen, so we believe in Jesus, so we're not under the law. We're under grace, so why are we studying the law? Well, it's true, we are under grace, absolutely. But you need to understand what God's standard for righteousness is. And the laws give us the civil, the ceremonial, and the moral aspects of life. How the children of Israel were supposed to be governed civilly, how they were supposed to worship ceremonially, and then morally what's right and what's wrong. And so we learn all of these different things. And really what we're going to see today is once again, that God is inviting his children to be unique. 
Now, I'm not talking about like winning most unique in your high school yearbook or something like that. We are meant to be unique from the world that we've been delivered from. And I'll just be honest, isn't that the hardest part of this whole thing? It's hard to be unique from a world that we've been raised in, that we've grown up in. And let's be honest, we kind of like it. You know, like all the trappings of our world and, and the culture that we live in, it's so easy just to kind of conform to it. And the Lord wants to show us a more excellent way. And so, and God's not saying we should be against everything in the world either, but there are certain things that we need to be unique and distinct. And so I call this family life, this message, and it's really going to be a few part message as we go over a couple chapters. But the first time we're going to see kind of how we should grieve over the loss of a loved one, which is definitely, unfortunately, a family matter. Then the second part of this chapter, Deuteronomy 14, is going to deal with what we should eat. Clean and unclean foods. You know, it's my favorite part of the Bible. What we're supposed to eat. And then the last aspect is how we're generous as people. All these are aspects of our family, like what we eat, how we deal with grieving loss, and then also what we do with the resources that God has entrusted to our family. So let's jump right on in. In Deuteronomy chapter 14, verse 1, it says this. It says, you are the children of the Lord your God. You shall not cut yourselves, nor shave the front of your head for the dead, for you are a holy people to the Lord your God. And the Lord has chosen you to be a people for himself, a special treasure above all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. Now, this deals with the how do we grieve over the loss of a loved one. I want you to notice the bookends. First, he says, you are the children of the Lord your God. And then verse 2, for you are a holy people to the Lord your God, and the Lord has chosen you to be a people for himself, a special treasure above all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. You notice those phrases, you are? That's important because this is statements of identity. That in Christ, this is who you are. And I think what happens for us often as followers of Jesus is life has a tendency to grind out an identity of Christ in us. Like, because you go to your job and you don't think, I don't really do a good job. And your boss gives you a hard time. Or maybe with a loved one or in a relationship, things start to come unravel and you start to really think about yourself differently. And so it's important for you. You build your identity on who Jesus Christ says that you are. And when somebody says that you are, when that is opposite of who Jesus says you are, you trust the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords who lives forever, not some dude or some gal who's going to die anyway. And that's an important thing because these you are statements are important. And it begins with you are a child of God. I love that. You're part of the family of God. If you have put your faith and trust in Jesus, you are part of the family of God. That's what trusting in Jesus is. That is you receiving the adoption that God has for you. God is saying, I want you with all your stuff, with all the issues that you have. I know everything about you. I want you to be a part of my family. I want to call you my kid. I want to give you a little Christmas stocking. I want to have a little place setting at the table for you. And I want you to be a part of my family. I know for some of you, right? Like, well, yeah, no way. And the answer is absolutely way. God is inviting all of humanity to be part of his family. But each one of us, we have to respond to that, right? And as we're God's children, part of his family, we become unique because of that. Notice it says, for you are a holy people. Why? Because we're holy because the Lord our God is holy. See, God rubs off on us. As I always like to say, right? How many of you said, when you got a little bit older, I'm never going to be like my parents. But what happens 
you end up becoming like your parents, right? It's a terrifying thing. But it happens. Why? Because your parents are socializing you and your parents rub off on you. You become chips off the old block, right? And in the same way, because we are God's children, because God is holy, we become holy like him as he is conforming us every day by the power of the spirit. And that should be your goal for today. Lord, I want to be holy as you are holy. I want to be distinct. I want to be set apart as you are. God, I want to be like you because unlike my parents where I didn't want to be like, you're perfect. So let's go for that, Lord. Can you do that work in my life? And so because we're his kids, we become holy because he is holy. And the beauty is, I love this. And the Lord has chosen you to be a people for himself, a special treasure above all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. Now, sometimes people don't like this. You start talking about people who are followers of Jesus, they're his kids. And now, well, they're, why are they special? Why are they the special treasures above all of you? Listen, let me give you the simplest example. I got three kids, Obadiah, Maranatha, and Annabelle. Right Now, I love all the kids who come to Crossroads. And in some ways, I care about all of them. I give them sprinkles and high fives, but I'm only changing Annabelle's diaper. You know what I mean? And it's like, Annabelle's the only one, if she gives me like a big booger kiss, I really like it. It's like a sweet thing. Why? Because she's mine. You know what I mean? Like, she individually has been entrusted to me. When my Obadiah, you know, like your son can now take a shower and that's your problem. But my son Obadiah, like I got to hose him down before he comes in the house. Why? Because he's mine. And he's the one who, when when I pick up my phone, I don't have pictures of your kids on my phone. I have pictures of my kids. Why? Because they're mine. You see how that works? So it's not that God doesn't love... God loves everybody. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. But those who respond and he chooses into his family, he's got a special affinity for. And that's a powerful reality. That when you say yes to Jesus and you become part of the family of God, God has a special affinity for you. You're his special kid, so to speak. And that's a beautiful thing. He loves you uniquely and specifically because he is involved intimately in everything in your life. And you're saying, I want your involvement. And that's very powerful. So this uniqueness comes from our identity as children of God and all that comes with it. And because of that, then we get in the middle of verse 2, you shall not cut yourselves nor shave the front of your head for the dead. So this speaks about the way that we grieve. Now, what's interesting about this, the cutting of the body and the shaving of the head were common signs of mourning in the ancient Near East where all this was taking place. For all the different ites that you read about that they're going to displace off the land, for the Egyptians, this was the common way that people mourned. They mourned by cutting themselves and they would shave the front of their head. And I know some of you guys are doing it now, not because you're mourning, unless you're mourning the loss of some hair follicles. You know what I mean? But it was a sign of, it was an hour, sorry. I got a couple guys like, this guy, I'm going to get you after church, man, you see. I may be bald, but I'm tougher than you. Anyway, you know, it's like, <laughs> it was nice knowing you, Fusco. Anyway, okay. But like when you would see someone with their head shaved and everybody knew, oh, they lost a loved one. So here's the thing. The shortest verse in the Bible is what? Jesus wept. At the tomb of Lazarus, Jesus wept. And Jesus waited to go Because he knew Lazarus was going to die, and he knew he was going to raise him from the dead, but he still wept. So this is not saying, don't grieve. That's not what it's saying. It's not saying that we're going to be so spiritual that when we lose a loved one, we're supposed to just be like, yeah, praise the Lord. You know, like, listen, 
the idea is that we need to grieve, but as those who have hope, not as those who don't have hope. And that's the difference for us. We realize that this is our pilgrimage. This life in this skin, on this earth, on this side of eternity, we're on pilgrimage. We are not at our final abode. We are not at our final destination. And we have to always remember that. And I realize that this life is precious, the only life that I've ever known. But I know that I'm on pilgrimage here. And there's going to come a time when I'm going to breathe my last breath, however, whenever that happens, or God's going to come back. And that's when my real life, my full life, that's where my eternal life is experienced. And we always, in the grieving of lost loved ones, and many of you have had that experience. I mean, I've shared about the loss of my mom when I was in my early 20s. It was just a horrible situation. The key is to, even as we grieve, we don't grieve as those who don't have hope. Because we realize that there's more to this. And that's an important reality. And that's one of the ways that we are unique. And it's not God asking us to be inhuman. He's asking us to be truly human to what humanity really means in light of the finished work of Jesus. So in our grieving, we put not only the cross of Jesus, but we put the empty tomb at the front of our hearts. Because the empty tomb says that life comes through death. And that's a powerful, and I know for many of you, you're going through the process of grieving. And it is a journey. You know, and I think, I always tell people, people talk to me about like, how do you deal with grief? And I always say, listen, you just be gracious with yourself. Because it's a journey. I think we all do, we want like that magic bullet where it's like every, no, it's a journey. And it takes time. And there's good days and bad days and there's up days and there's down days. And there's days when you're like, man, this is not the way it's supposed to be. And every time someone comes to me like, Pastor, this is not the way it's supposed to be. I say, you're right. This isn't the way it's supposed to be. This wasn't God's intention. Death wasn't God's intention. See, when God created Adam and Eve, he created them to live forever. And it was because they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil that sin entered the world. And with sin came death. And with death came a warping of God's intention. But God already had a plan before the foundation of the earth because he knew Adam and Eve were going to do that. And his plan was to send his son. So although death comes because of sin, Jesus conquers sin and death. And we need to grieve. We need to grieve with the empty tomb before us. The fact that Jesus conquers the great divider of humanity, which is death. Such an important reality. And we need to be unique. And listen, people always ask me, so Pastor Daniel, what, what can I do for somebody who's lost somebody? Like, how can I help them? Simple answer, just be there with them. Don't try and fix them. Don't try and fix them. You just hold space with them. You're there for them. You weep with them when they weep. You rejoice when they rejoice. If they're having a bad day, if they're upset, you just let them be upset. And you say, man, I can't imagine how you're feeling right now, but I love you and Jesus loves you. You know, and don't try and just hold space with them. And God will give you scriptures here and there. But, you know, one of the hardest things is that people are always trying to fix everybody. It's amazing, right? We need to just be there for people in their grief. Don't try and fix them. What I've found is that when you hold space with someone, that's actually what helps them the most. That you're a person who doesn't, you're not trying to fix them. You're just there for them. And that's a powerful reality, isn't it? So let's grieve uniquely. Let's grieve as people who don't lack hope, but know that Jesus is real, that Jesus has conquered the grave. So that's the first way that we are unique in our families. Now, in verse three, we start looking at the eating laws. Look at what it says. 
I'm just going to read the whole thing for you. It says, you shall not eat any detestable thing, verse 3. These are the animals which you may eat. The ox, the sheep, the goat, the deer, the gazelle, the roe deer, the wild goat, the mountain goat, the antelope, and the mountain sheep. And you may eat every animal with cloven hooves, having the hoof split into two parts, and that chews the cud among the animals. Nevertheless, of those that chew the cud or have cloven hooves, you shall not eat such as these, the camel, the hare, the rock hyrax, for they chew the cud, but do not have cloven hooves. They are unclean for you. Also, the swine is unclean for you because it has cloven hooves, yet it does not chew the cud. You shall not eat their flesh or touch their dead carcasses. These you may eat of all that are in the waters. You may eat all that have fins and scales. And whatever does not have fins and scales, you shall not eat. It is unclean for you. All clean birds you may eat, but these you shall not eat. The eagle, the vulture, the buzzard, the red kite, the falcon, and the kite after their kinds. Verse 14, every raven after its kind, the ostrich, and the short-eared owl, the seagull. Doesn't everyone get excited when you think of seagull meat? Never mind. And the hawk after, that's not in the Bible. Sorry. The hawk after their kinds. The little owl, the screech owl, the white owl, the jackdaw, the carrion vulture, the fisher owl, the stork, the heron after its kind, and the, the hoopoe? Is that how you say that? Hoopoe? Anyway, and the bat. Also, every creeping thing that flies is unclean for you. They shall not be eaten. You may eat all clean birds. You shall not eat anything that dies of itself. You may give it to the alien who is within your gates, that he may eat it, or you may sell it to a foreigner, for you are a holy people to the Lord your God. You shall not boil a young goat in its mother's milk. All right. Shall we talk about God's menu? Okay. Here we go. I should have just brought out all my knives and stuff and just cook some stuff. Okay, these are called kosher food laws. That's how we know them. Why? Here's four reasons for the kosher food laws. One, there's hygienic reasons. There's health-related reasons. Let me give you an example. So you don't eat a bunch of birds that are known as birds who eat roadkill. Why? Because of the disease that's associated. Things like vultures and eagles, all they're, because they're carrion animals. So we don't want to eat those. Also, you don't eat fish. They don't have fins and scales, which actually takes shrimp and shellfish. Why? Because they're bottom feeders. Now, don't get me wrong. Those things taste really good. But God's design is that because of the health-related concerns of bottom feeders or animals that are eating dead carcasses, it's like a health code almost. In the same way, it's like, how many of you eat chicken that's been sitting out on your countertop for one week? I hope none of you. Why? Because that's nasty, right? Stuff grows on that, right? And so, and that's why we get to the end here and it says, listen, you know, anything that's been killed, you know, that's been dead lying, don't eat it. Why? Because there's diseases in there and God actually likes you being alive for as long as you can be. Does that make sense? So there's hygienic reasons. Second, there's pagan cultic rites. See, this is to be spiritually unique. Some of the reasoning, and we don't understand all of it, is that, again, there's this uniqueness from the world around you. And so there's certain things, it would seem, that are in this list, that the only reason they're in there is because it differentiates the children of God from the other nations. And they might seem arbitrary at some times, but... God can do what he wants to do. He wants us to be spiritually unique. Third, some of these animals are symbolic of good and evil. 
in the world that they lived in. So there was symbolic overtones for some of these animals where they're like, okay, yeah, yeah, so we're not like that. They see the symbolism isn't, and then other scholars would make the case, of course, and I think it's cool, that it's purely arbitrary because just God likes what he likes and he doesn't like what he doesn't like. You know what's amazing about that last one? When I first read it, I'm like, really? I was reading some commentators talking about the arbitrariness of some of this, and I started thinking, I'm like, well, if we're each God's workmanship, uniquely created in Christ Jesus unto good works, then why can't God be unique? Why can't God have his own preferences? And what's amazing is you look through the scriptures and you find that God does have all sorts of preferences. And if you don't give God the personality to be unique, then he's not really God. Because every person who has a nature has uniquenesses in there. So in some ways, you can look at all of these things through these kind of four lenses. And so I could go on and on about all these different parts of it. But really what I want to show you is that it begins with what meats you're allowed to eat. Now, the main stipulation here is that they have to have cloven hoods. And so they have to have those feet that have the cloven, the two parts, or they have to chew the cud. Now, chew the cud is such a funny phrase, but really what it is, and I had to do a little research because I didn't grow up with animals like that. And so really what it is, is there's a lot of animals that they have four chambers of their stomach. And so they eat just to get it a little moist and they swallow it and they begin to digest it. And then their stomach puts it back in their mouth and they keep chewing it. And then it goes back down into another chamber. So if you ever noticed a cow, and I did notice this recently, cows always look like they're chewing something. Yeah, they're chewing the cud. That's the way they digest their food. Now, I don't know about you. That sounds a little nasty. But when I'm eating like a good pizza, I kind of want it to come back up again. I like, <laughs> like, I started thinking about it. I'm like, you know, it's not so bad. Like, I don't want to be coarse, but like Pastor Ryan, his wife, Ben, they gave me this chocolate covered Twinkie. Things you, if you follow me on Instagram, you see these things. And I ate that thing and I didn't even think I chewed that thing. Because it was just like, I just was swallowing that thing. And I, I thought, I'm like, man, if I was a cow, that thing would come back up again. It would be young. I get seconds and thirds. So I, I think the cow's got something going for them. I mean, I'm not knocking it. I mean, it kind of sounds good. So I know, listen, you guys are saying, you're nat- No, I'm smart. Listen. I still want someone to invent a pill that after you eat it, you swallow it, dissolves everything in your stomach, you can eat everything again. That would be super. Because you know when you eat a meal... You all know what it's like to eat something that's so good you wish you could eat it again, right? Am I the only one that can eat a bacon cheeseburger? Like, I want another one of those. But you don't because you have a modicum of self-control. But if we could chew the cud, that thing will come back up again. And you get to go around again. So it's, okay, I'll leave. I don't want anyone to throw up in church, so. But like, I'm down with those animals too, Lord, no doubt. Okay, so anyway, I did want to point out here as well that there's certain things that you can't eat. So camel, no. Bunny rabbit, that's hair, no. Some of the rock hire, you don't want those things. Notice in verse 8 it says swine is unclean. So that means, yeah, bacon. Yeah, that's considered unclean. You know, listen, as Christians, you just say thank God for the Jerusalem council. That's how you go with that. Because, And we go through this, but you also realize that, do you remember the vision that the Lord gave the apostle Peter? When he sees all these different, what would be considered unclean animals... And Peter said, you know, arise, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter's like, Lord, no, I am way too spiritual for that. So he's always saying, he's like, I've never eaten anything unclean. Like, no way. And the Lord's like, no, no, I've cleansed it all for you now. Jesus is real. God has called us to live uniquely in this world. And today we learned that it extends even to our family lives. Pastor Daniel shared that we're to model God's love and hope even in times of mourning. 
We don't grieve for those we love as others do. Instead, we have hope that death isn't the end. We know our Savior has promised us eternal life, and we know we'll see our believing loved ones again one day in heaven. Jesus is Real Radio is the radio ministry of Daniel Fusco of Crossroads Community Church. The messages that you hear each day here on Jesus is Real Radio were produced from messages that Pastor Daniel shared on Sunday mornings and the midweek study. It's our prayer that this teaching from God's Word blessed and encouraged you in your walk with Jesus Christ. Hey everybody, Pastor Daniel Fusco here. I'm the lead pastor of Crossroads Community Church. I love that God invites all of us to be a part of His family, and I wanted to invite you to be a part of my family of faith in Vancouver. Services on Sundays at 9 a.m., 11 a.m., and 1 p.m., or in Southwest Portland, our service on Sundays at 10 a.m., as well as midweek services Wednesday at 7 p.m. at both campuses. We would love to have you join us, and if you're at a distance, check us out on our internet campus, crossroadslive.tv. I look forward to seeing you soon. Join us again here on Jesus Is Real Radio when Pastor Daniel walks through God's commandments concerning food. The Israelites had a specific list of meats which they could and couldn't eat. While this list seems arbitrary to us today, it had valid reasoning behind it. These laws not only held health benefits, they also caused the Israelites to stand out from the world around them, preserving their uniqueness to God. We wish we had more time today, but we will have to pick up where we left off next time as Pastor Daniel continues teaching through this series called Blueprints. That's next time on Jesus Is Real Radio.